that. So let's start, uh, if we can tonight, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number, I'm going to start in chapter number 4, and I'm going to read um, starting in verse number 16, all right? Starting in verse number 16, and you need to listen real good tonight to make sure that you understand what I'm saying, all right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 and verse number uh, 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, who is the we right here? The church, okay? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Lord, we do ask that you'd help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, I attempted uh, to establish that we are going to see Jesus come and call the church out to meet him in the air a few Wednesday nights back, okay? Uh, we tried to establish that there's going to be a rapture of the church, and uh, we have seen that the church will not be here for the tribulation period. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that a little more in depth and then try to move on forward, okay? And so let me, let me say this here. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, in verse number 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you that I believe this verse of Scripture to prove that you and I as the church will not be here for the tribulation. But I, I, want, to, I want to look at that a little deeper and give you a little better uh, explanation of that Lord being our helper. Now, when we talk about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see it in two stages. Stage number one being the rapture of the church uh, itself. We see that Christ comes for his saints. Then there's stage two, which is what we refer to as the second coming. And, uh, and we understand here that Christ comes with his saints at that time. Okay? All right. So, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number four and verse number uh, 17 says this. And this is what I want to call your attention to. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I want you to, to, if you don't get anything out of this tonight, I want you to grab a hold of this right off the bat. Wherever the Lord is after the rapture is where you and I are going to be. All right? You and I were bought with a price. We're not our own. He died for us to redeem us that we might be where he is at. So you need to bear in mind that when we look at the word of God tonight, wherever he is at, you're going to find that his church is with him. Okay? So we don't have to ask the question where we're going to be as long as we know where he's at. Okay? So let's think about this for just a few minutes. Now, uh, I want you to turn with me real quick to Revelation chapter number 1. And we're going to get into old dangerous Revelation tonight for just a little bit. Okay? Now, I want to say this. I don't believe that the book of Revelation is a closed book. Some people will argue that the book of Revelation is closed, but that's, that's opposing the actual name of the book. The book is the revelation of John. It's a revealing of. It's not a hiding of anything. The Lord's not hiding anything from us. We're just going to have to study to look into the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is an important book. 
And so let's look at it tonight and try to be real careful how we uh, divide this out, all right? But the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 19, this is a key verse of Scripture to help you with the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to attempt to put on an air tonight that I have everything figured out from Revelation 1 to the very end of the book of Revelation. I don't. But I have been studying in depth and praying and the Lord just keeps revealing and showing me some things. And so I'm not going to try to give you more than I know, but I'm going to try to give you what I know and continue to study it out and, and gather more information. Okay? Uh, but I do want you to understand this, is not, this book is not a book to be avoided. Now, if you are a babe which desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, I don't suggest that you go to the book of Revelation and start there. I don't suggest you get into the prophecy of the book of Daniel and start there. But you need to go ahead and start in the word of God. Start in the book of Romans. Go through the epistles. Find out where you are at today in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Start there. All right? And then, then, then work your way through. But you'll have to grow in grace. But we're going to look at a few things tonight. But the book of Revelation, chapter number 1, verse number 19. It'd help if I turn my monitor on here, my microphone. I'm disheveled tonight for some reason. Brother Shane's got me tore up about him choking to death back there earlier. Revelation chapter number one. If you do that again, I'm going to come down there and get you because I think we're clear, okay? All right. So verse 19 says, write the things which thou hast seen. Who has seen what? John, right? We know John to be on the Isle of Patmos. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And John's had a rough go of it, okay? He's in exile. And, uh, but John's seen some things, and I'm glad that even in, uh, in, a, in a rough time in our life, even in a bad patch, even in a rough go of it, you can still be in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God can still reveal some things to you. Isn't that wonderful? Although he had been exiled and put away from all mankind, he hadn't been put away from, uh, from his Savior. And that's a good thing, right? All right, so we see here, verse 19 says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are... And the things which shall be hereafter. So right, right off the bat, I want you to notice that verse 19 encompasses the past, the present, and the future. Now God always was, is, and will be. So there's some things in the book of Revelation that we're going to find are past tense, present tense, and future tense. Alright, so that's very important. So the book of uh, Revelation gives us the events of the future, and I want you to notice this, in chronological order. All right? Now, Revelation 119 gives us an absolute outline of this book. And that's a good thing, because you'll find that there's a whole lot in the Old Testament that is not in chronological order. You're bouncing from one book to another book and, and looking at the minor prophets and you're digging. And, and if you're not careful, you'll even make a mistake in something you say because you've missed something, a key component that's maybe in another book of the Bible. But the book of Revelation is in chronological order. So you can take the book of Revelation and if you're in the book of Revelation, start looking at what it's telling you and go back to the Old Testament to find some prophecy that will help you in the book of Revelation and it will help you stay guided in the Old Testament as you study the Old Testament to better help you understand what's in the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation being in, in this order helps us out uh, a great deal, all right? Now I'm trying to keep my notes straight here because I've got a bunch of them. But the outline consists of past, present, and future, all right? 
So we see the words has seen is in the past. The words, uh, the things which are is the present. And the words shall be hereafter would be in the future. All right? So we must assign has seen, are, and shall be hereafter. The has seen is in Revelation chapter number 1. All right? And the things which are you find in Revelation chapter number 2 and chapter number 3. Okay? And then when you get to chapter number 4, it shifts gears. And then we find the things which shall be hereafter. All right? And so since we see the outline, we need to look at the first verse of Revelation chapter number 4. All right? So let's go to Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Bear in mind now we're dealing with the last days. And I, I promise you I don't want to bore you to death tonight, uh, but we're going to make sure we get this as it needs to be gotten. If I have to slow down and back up, we're just going to do that. We've got every Wednesday night until the Lord calls us home or does something different, Okay? So Revelation chapter number four and verse number one says, After this I looked, uh, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. The very first future event uh, is the rapture itself, okay? We're in the grace dispensation of the church age right now. We're looking for the Lord to come back and rapture the church, are we not? It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is a picture in Revelation chapter number four of, of the Lord Jesus Christ calling uh, to all Christians at the rapture. Notice with me, if you will, the Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. What are we looking for? We're looking for him to come, right? And we're looking upward. We're not looking outward. We're not looking downward. We're looking up for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. For the Lord himself shall descend. From where? From heaven. That means he's up there coming this way. So we look at Revelation 4.1, and we see, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me. Now I want you to notice this. When the trump sounds, who is the trump for? The trump's not for the lost. The trump is for the born again believer. So notice this. He says, I heard as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Me and I are going to get to see all the things that transpire in the book of Revelation because you and I are going to be where he's at. All right? So how are we going to know what, what's happening? We're following him. We're going to be a part of what's happening. Now, to that, that scares some people, but it's actually quite exciting once you start rightly dividing this out and seeing what, what is in here, okay? And so uh, don't get scared and try to avoid this book. I, I, I mean, it's an easy thing to do. But, but notice this, if you will. I want to, I want to call your attention to something. Uh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter number 4 is a picture of what we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 16, 17, and 18. All right? But now, we need to look at something here. I want you to, to relate this as we look into the New Testament and the Old Testament concerning the last days. This will help you 
as you study out these last days. I assure you, there's no way that I can exhaust to you the book of Revelation in, in, in if I had every Wednesday night from now till Christ called us home or till I passed away. But I can tell you this, you can, you can go to the Word of God and learn how to study this book and it will be key in helping you learn some things about this book that you may not have seen before, all right? So uh, there's a prophetic emphasis in the Word of God that we need to look at. When you look in the Old Testament, there is an emphasizing of the millennial reign of Christ. You see that in the Old Testament. You see in the Gospels an emphasis on the second coming, which brings in the millennial reign of Christ. Then you find in the epistles to the church, that's what the epistles are. I've, I've said this a hundred times and, and I never really related it to the last days. I kind of relate it to the present tense, but I've made the remark before that much in the New Testament is not to the unsaved, but, but the epistles are written to the church, knowing obviously there is an expectation from God to the New Testament church, right? So there's going to be things in the New Testament that are not in the Old Testament because we're dealing with an age today that was not in uh, the Old Testament, all right? So having said that, that doesn't mean that everything we find in the New Testament, though, doesn't go back to that of the Old Testament. When Jesus taught, was talking in the Gospels, we find an emphasis on the second coming. Now, the second coming and the rapture is not the same thing. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ is in two parts. There's the rapture, then there's the second coming where his feet actually touch down upon this earth. When he comes, we're looking for a hole in the sky. We're looking for the heavens to open up and for Jesus Christ to descend. We go up and meet him in the air, right? Right? Okay, making sure we're okay here. All right, so the epistles to the church emphasize the rapture. Then we look at the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation emphasizes the tribulation. Now, I understand that you can find the tribulation, and you can find some of these things elsewhere, but we're talking about an emphasis. A main emphasis is the Old Testament emphasizing millennial reign of Christ, the Gospels emphasizing the second coming, the epistles emphasizing the rapture, and the book of Revelation emphasizing the tribulation. Now, the promise of the rapture is primarily found in the epistles, all right? And the epistles were written to the churches to whom they were addressed. When Christ, uh, uh, when Christ spoke, he come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You find in the New Testament that he wasn't preaching to the Gentile people. He, was, he went coming to his own, but his own received him not. Right, he 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 went to the lost house of uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when Christ spoke in the Gospels, he is describing his second coming. Why? Because was it not the children of Israel, brother Marvin, that had a problem with the judges? They wanted a king. That's not changed. See, we've come out of the the the. The Old Testament and the New Testament in this new age and we look at the church and we, we kind of forget about Israel. We kind of forget that that's God's chosen people. Listen, you and I are saved by His marvelous grace and uh, I hate to tell you this, but we're not God's chosen people. And God's not done with the children of Israel. 
He's not. He, and we got to figure out something. This idea today uh, that the, the, every promise and, and all the prophecy that was concerning Israel does not apply to the church. There is a group of people today that want to act like when the church was birthed, that the church took on all of the prophecy and all the promises that were to Israel became the churches. That's not true. Because God's still differentiating between Israel and the church. Now I'm thankful that a Jew can get born again by the grace of God. But I'm going to say this, as far as the, 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 the Jew as a whole, they're still looking for the Messiah. Alright, and so we're looking for that second coming. We're looking for the return of Christ and we see that there's going to be a second. They're still waiting on the first one. So, so as we understand this, the church is looking for the rapture, but the Jew is looking for the coming. They don't realize that when he comes, it's the second go around. Things are going to change, but let's look at what he's going to do. He's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to reign from Jerusalem. Okay, so understanding this, when Christ spoke in the Gospels, he is talking about the second coming. Jesus' disciples were Jews. You understand that? And the Jews in general had a great hope that the Messiah would rule in Jerusalem on the throne of David. All right. So if we understand that the Old Testament is emphasizing the millennial reign of Christ... The Gospels are emphasizing the second coming which brings in the millennial reign of Christ uh, and the epistles to the church emphasize the rapture and the book of Revelation emphasizes the tribulation. Then we as we study the Bible have to look at it contextually to see what it is that we're talking about. Alright? Alright, now this, this, is, this gets pretty uh, interesting right here. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter number 24. Now, bearing in mind what I just said to you about the emphasis of the, the epistles of the church and the gospel in the Old Testament uh, and the book of Revelation, this will uh, help us as we study this and right, to rightly divide the word of truth when we're looking at prophecy. And it will prevent you from misinterpreting the prophecy laid out in the scripture. All right? Uh, now, understand this. Many things foretold in scripture of the Messiah for Israel were not all accomplished during his life upon earth. You understand that? There was prophecy in the word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament that he did not fulfill in his first coming. There, that's kind of why the, the, the disciples had a little bit of an issue understanding what was going on. They didn't understand some of the things that he said and that was, that was going on and and they're looking for looking at it through through one set of eyes, and he's actually doing something else. Okay, and so, um, Psalm. Well, I'll go to Psalms twenty-two in just a minute. But no, I, you hold your place in Matthew twenty-four. I want to show you this if I can, concerning the fact that many things are foretold in Scripture uh, of the Messiah for Israel were not all accomplished during his life upon earth. I want to give you an example. Uh, what is interesting here is how much emphasis uh, is in the scripture of things that happened in relation to the foretelling of the events prior to their happening. Let me give you an example. Psalms twenty-two, fifteen. The Bible says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. 
and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. We all know that scripture. Psalms 22 is a, a picture of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to it happening. It was prophetic, okay? But we understand here in John 19 and 28. Now, I want you to get this. This is amazing. John 19, 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Now, Jesus, we know, was hanging on the cross of Calvary. He, was being, he had been brutally beaten and tore apart. His blood was shed for, for all of mankind. But notice what he does right here. John 19, 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. What was accomplished? Everything that needed to be done, Brother Marvin, for you and I to have salvation, far as the shedding of his blood, far as him giving himself as a sacrifice, it was accomplished. But there was one thing he did before he died. Notice this, please. Everything he'd done for you and for me at Calvary now is accomplished at this point. But he's not, a, he's not finished. He says here, the Bible says here, uh, after this Jesus knowing that all things are now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. He didn't say he was thirsty for the Marvin because he wanted something to drink. He said that he was thirsty to fulfill scripture. When Jesus was dying after he'd already accomplished what he had to accomplish at Calvary, he had one more thing to do. To make sure that when the Bible said thy word is truth, that he was going to make sure that the truth of the word of God was fulfilled before he passed off the scene. Now you see right here an emphasis and an importance on the scripture and how he finds it important to make sure that he fulfilled the prophecy in his word that he esteems higher than his own name, that it be accomplished. He said it to place an emphasis on the scripture being fulfilled. That was the whole purpose of his statement. He esteemed scripture higher than his own name. His name was what was being mocked, Brother Marvin. Notice this. His name is being mocked at Calvary. But while his name is being mocked, his scriptures is being fulfilled. His, his scripture he esteems higher than his own name. So while his name is being mocked, He's still fulfilling the scripture. That's how important the scripture is. All right? This is exciting stuff to me. You may be bored to death, but I'm having a pretty good time. All right? All right. So, Matthew chapter number 24. Let's go there for just a moment. All right. Matthew chapter number 24. And let's start in... Well, I'm going to check. Let's see. Matthew chapter number 24. Let's start in verse number. Um, I'm going to work at this a little backwards. I got some things in the earlier portion uh, of this chapter I want to show you before, hopefully, before the night's out. But I want to start right here in verse number 37. Okay? Now, I, I, because of, of the fact that we are fixing to look at a controversial portion of Scripture. Uh, or at least when I get done saying what I'm fixing to say, it can become controversial to some, I'm sure. I want to I wanna make, this is why I made sure to give you the prophetic emphasis in the Word of God. The difference between the Old Testament emphasizing the little reign of Christ, the Gospels emphasizing the second coming of Christ, the epistles emphasizing the rapture, and the book of Revelation emphasizing the tribulation, because we've got to look at who this is to. Now, I've said this a bunch, 
But we know that the Word of God is preserved, right? All 66 books. And every scripture in this Bible is for us. But every scripture in this Bible isn't written to us. And when we look at the emphasis in the scripture, we have to determine who the Lord Jesus Christ or who the Word of God is dealing with at this time. Yes, we can go to the epistles and look at what Paul said to the church of Corinth, and we can apply that to Mount Tabor Baptist Church. We can look at what he says to the church at Thessalonica, and we can apply those principles to Mount Tabor Baptist Church. But there's some things that he says to the household of Israel that don't apply to us in the same fashion. So we have to look at these verses of Scripture very, very carefully. Now, I want to notice something, and, and I promise you, I don't promise you, let, let my yeas be nay, yeas and my nay be nay, okay? But let me say this to you. I'm telling you, when you look at these verses of Scripture, it is easy to misunderstand what these verses of Scripture say. If you do not look at the context in depth. The Bible says, but as the days of no work, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took, uh, took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, hold your place there. I want to read to you something in 1 Thessalonians 5. Starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as a travail, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now I made the comment several Wednesday nights ago that a thief takes what is, uh, a thief doesn't take uh, what is theirs. But a thief is taking what is not theirs, right? You and I belong to the Lord, do we not? You and I were bought with a price. We're not our own. If you're saved by the grace of God, the blood's been applied, you belong to him. So we're going to look at what we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 when some people would argue that 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 9, when the Bible says, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, some will argue that that's not talking about us escaping the tribulation. But we're going to look at the context of chapter number 5, and the context of chapter number 5 is not talking about the uh, return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church. But 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 is talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at this statement in regards to Matthew chapter number 24. When the Bible says, uh, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I mean, we've heard that a million times. But notice this, the Bible says, Then shall two be in the field, the one be taken, and the other left. Now, the first thing that comes to your mind is that the rapture has happened, Brother Marvin, and the Lord Jesus Christ has descended, and he's called up the church, and the church has gone to be with him, and those that are unsaved are left. That would be fine, except for the example that's given to back up this scripture is verse 39, when the Bible says, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Who did he take away? We're not talking about Noah and his family. Notice this, the Bible said, knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Who knew not? 
Who knew not was all them that were drowned in when the flood came. But Noah wasn't taken. We like to act like that the church is like Noah. We've been saved, right? But but the context here isn't the church being taken. It's those that are being judged for not believing. They were just doing what they were doing and they weren't believing. The Bible says, knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Who was taken? Those that were judged for not believing that the boat was for them. So the Bible says that the water, the floods, took them away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What coming? The second coming. After the rapture, when the Lord comes and puts his feet back down on this earth. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Who's left is going to be the ones like Noah and his family. The ones that's taken are the ones that's going to have to endure the judgment of God. Now notice this, if you will. Say, I don't believe that. Well, this is the Olivet Discourse here in verse number 27 through 31. Let's just look and see what the context is of this chapter. Back up with me, if you will, to chapter number, or verse number 27. The Bible says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Is that talking about the rapture? It's talking about the second coming. After the rapture. The Bible says, say, how do you know? Look, look at verse 28. For where, this is important. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. What's that talking about? It's talking about the battle of Armageddon. Look at Revelation chapter number 19 with me for just a moment. All right, let's look at verse number 17 of Revelation chapter number 19. The Bible says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Now that's not talking about the portals of glory. It's talking about the heavens. You can walk out here tonight and look up and see the heavens. So I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. What's this supper? It's the fowls of the air feasting on the flesh of the dead bodies after he's wiped them out. The Bible says in verse 18 that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses. And of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. We know that the blood of the martyr will be up to the horse's bridle. There's going to be blood everywhere. Horses dead, people dead, dead everywhere. Said, and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Say, preacher, this isn't literal. This is symbolic. Oh, no, just keep watching. We're going to find out just how non-symbolic this really is. All right, and so... Uh, considering that, we look at, at Matthew chapter number 24 and we realize that what we're learning about in Matthew chapter number 24 is the second coming, not the return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church. Who is he addressing here? Jews. The, the, the ones that, that way back then, Brother Marvin, didn't want no judge. They wanted a king. All right, so we understand that the Bible says here, for as the lightning cometh, verse 27, 
out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So we're dealing right here after the rapture. What comes after the rapture? The seven-year tribulation period. So what is the ending of the tribulation? What is the end of the tribulation period? The battle of Armageddon. Now notice here, it says here, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds uh, of heaven with a power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You and I, that, we're talking about the elect right here. Okay? Now, understanding that, let's go back and let's look at something for just a moment in the book of Revelation chapter number 19. First of all, let me ask you this. I want you to think about this question. What is the purpose of the tribulation period? We talk about it. We try to put this stuff in chronological order. What is the purpose of the tribulation period? The purpose of the tribulation period is to judge a world who has rejected Christ. Now, understand that, that, that those, uh, in, look at Revelation chapter, make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, Revelation chapter uh, number 19. And while you're holding in Revelation 19, let me read to you Revelation 16 and 1. The Bible said, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. There's that word wrath. Now, what was it that I read to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse number 9? We've established now that we're talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the return. So if we're talking contextually in chapter number 5 of 1 Thessalonians about the second coming, when the Bible said, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, then you and I can sleep well tonight knowing that there isn't a one of us, Brother Marvin, going to be in the tribulation period. We'll be with him. All right, so having said that, let's dig into Revelation 19 for just a moment. I've been excited about this for a little while today. My wife and I have argued and, and, and not like bickering, but we've, just, we've been digging in this Bible all day about some of this stuff, okay? And we've been just debating back and forth with one another. It's been, it's been good. But I want to show you here, uh, starting in verse number 11, Revelation chapter number 19, verse number 11. Considering what we're talking about right here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and Matthew 24, and these things are about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the book of Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Now, pause for just a moment. Let me remind you of something. Jesus Christ, when he was here the first time, he didn't own anything, Brother Shane. Everything he had, he borrowed. Only thing he bought was you and me, right? We love that song. I love that song. But I got to think about this. He borrowed a coat. And he rode on this coat that was borrowed. 
And you understand that, that when he rode this, this ass or this donkey, if you will, through Jerusalem, what happened? They were, they were throwing palm branches down everywhere, right? But he's just on an old nag donkey. And everybody wants to act like this white horse is symbolic. But you understand as he was preparing to go to Calvary, he rode an old nag donkey. And you understand at Calvary, they mocked him and made fun of him as the king. But when he comes back, Brother Marvin, he comes back on a white horse in all of his glory. Now, I do not believe the white horse is symbolic. So understand here, he said, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful, thank God right there, and true. Right? How do we know he's true? Because Brother Marvin, even when he was dying on Calvary and he said it is finished, he made sure, he made sure to fulfill the prophecy to keep the word of God true. Thy word is truth. So, and we understand that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? So he is the word. So the Bible says here, faithful and true and in righteous, in righteous he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now let me pause right here for just a minute. You understand that verses 17, starting in verse number 17 on down through 19, is the battle of Armageddon. So the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Brother Marvin, is the end of the tribulation period. It's where the Lord comes back and the church comes with him and he settles a score. Alright? This is what happens here. He says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and in a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Now why do you suppose that in the book of Revelation, uh, of all the names that we know him by, do they use the name the Word of God? Now we know when he was dying they were mocking his name, but he was fulfilling his word. And so when he comes back, he's come back and he's being called the Word of God. Now we know we're talking about Jesus Christ because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Alright, and we know that he was present in, in, in the creation. So, or with the creation, the Bible says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Now listen. And the Bible said, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nation. Say, oh, that's symbolic. Oh, no. It wasn't a real sword. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit of the joints of the and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What he says he does. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. In the beginning he spoke the world into existence. And just by speaking, friend, he can level an army that comes to fight up against him. So notice this, it says here, and he was clothed, I'm about to have a fail tonight. See, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth go the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And I want you to get this tonight. The Bible says, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. Now I want you to go back and look or just hold your place. Let me read this to you. John 19, 19 says, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate got it right. Pilate got it just like it was. But the Bible said in John 19, 20, this title read, Oh, oh, oh man. This title read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was not to the city. And it was written in the Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Notice that there wasn't one language it wasn't written in. Everybody had an opportunity to know just exactly what was said. But notice this in John 19 21. The Bible said, Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written... I have written. They were upset because of what was written, but what was written was exactly right. And I want you to notice this, if you will. What was it that was written? That uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When he comes back, Brother Marvin, he hath on his vesture that is dipped in blood, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not coming back, King of the Jews. He's coming back, King Almighty, King of every King, Lord of every Lord, none to be exceeding Him whatsoever. And notice this, if you will, why, I never thought about this, but it said, He hath on His vesture and on His thigh. Why on His thigh? Can anyone think for a second why He would have King of Kings and Lord of Lords on His thigh? Man, when I seen this, I about had a shouting fit at home. Because the Bible said in Exodus 28 and 42, And thou shalt make them fine linen, breeches to cover their nakedness, from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. Now here's what I want you to notice. On Calvary they stripped him naked. And his nakedness was to put him to shame because he carried the sin of the entire world. And that nakedness was a picture of what was going on in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve had realized they were sinners and they covered their nakedness because they had, it had been revealed unto them what they were. Nakedness in the word of God is always synonymous with sin. And I want you to notice this time when he come back with a Marvin, he wasn't naked. This time when he come back where he had been naked before by the shame, he let everybody that seen him know that he was king of kings and lord of lords and he did not ride out of heaven coming this way naked, but he was covered as king of kings and lord of lords. So the Bible says here, verse 15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. That with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Go with me to Psalms 2 quickly. You can leave any time you feel like it. I'm having a good time, so just let me go, okay? Psalms chapter number 2. I, I, I've read this and never really correlated the two a whole lot, but Psalms chapter number 2, the Bible starts out in verses 1 through 9, and they're prophetic scriptures. Verses 10 through 12 is a warning. 
Now the Bible says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Who's going to have the final say? The Lord Jesus Christ. Said, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen. For thine inheritance. Do you know no one that accepted him? I mean those that did not accept him. Those who did not see him for who he is. He died for us, right? We were bought with the price. You don't make anybody get saved. But if you reject him, this is what's fixing to happen. Look right here. It said, ask of me, I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Any man, woman, boy, and girl is still going to be subject to him. Whether you accept him or not. And said, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Man, I about died when I seen that. Say, what's significant about that? Let's go to think about this in Matthew chapter number 27. Judas, we know, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Brother Shane. And in Matthew 27, 6, the chief priest took counsel to take the money, which could not go back into the treasury, Brother Marvin, and they bought something. You know what they bought? A potter's field. And here's what I want you to see. They bought a potter's field to do what? To bury strangers in. <laughs> now, Matthew 27, 8 says, Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. That money that, that, that sold Jesus out bought a potter's field. And that potter's field was to bury strangers in. And we know that in verse 9 of Psalms 2, the Bible says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Do you know what happens to pottery? We understand that, that many times we talk about us being molded on the potter's wheel and how it shapes us and forms us and makes us. But the potter's field is a place where the clay goes that is broken, that is done with, that no one's ever going to use again, friend. Hey, I'm glad I'll be on the potter's wheel being molded and shaped in the image of God tonight. But understand that there's a day in the second coming thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So verses 1 through 9 is prophetic, but then we see the warning. Look at verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are they that put their trust in him. I'm glad to trust him tonight. I'm glad that I'm his and he is mine. And I'm, I'm so thankful that when I read 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 for the Marvin. I'm not confusing the return of the Lord Jesus Christ with the second coming because I can say, for God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I know who wins. And I know whose side I'm on. And there's a lot in the book of Revelation I may not understand, but I know this much because I'm with him, I'm going to be just fine. 
And I thank the Lord for that. All right, so we'll be finished with that tonight. We won't uh, go in, into any further detail on this, and we'll just pick it back up next Wednesday night and move right on into the remainder of our study. Heavenly Father, Lord, we so thank you tonight for the Word of God. And how, Lord, the Word of God, when it's studied, just jumps off the page and speaks to our hearts and shows those things that we, we could not even imagine. And Lord, how we can take the Word of God and we can look at the Word of God and you can reveal to us truths that we've not even paid attention to before, that maybe we've read over and went over a million times. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. And thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. And Lord, we're so thankful to know that when this life is over, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And no matter where you are, Lord, to know I'll never ever be separated from you. Lord, we thank you for that great truth. Thank you for purchasing us, purchasing us at Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray.